Um, thank you for being here this morning, and, and uh, good to see some visitors with us, and just really happy to have you here today. I know summertime is busy, and we all have lots of things to do and take up our time. Um, so this morning, uh, we want to continue to work through the um, timeline of future events that we've been talking about, and uh, today we're going to be talking about the purpose of God's millennial reign. Larry, if I could have my slides, please. Um, the Bible gives numerous references to this time period, and even though this is one that's not spoken about a lot, I don't think that people in most churches speak about a lot about the thousand-year millennial reign, and maybe because we don't think the Bible says a lot about it. Maybe we don't think that the Lord, that the Word gives us a lot of information about what happens in that period of time, but I'm finding out that the Bible does give a lot of reference to the millennial reign, and... Um, and I think it's important that we speak about it. First of all, it's a long time. A thousand years is a long time. And what I find extremely interesting about this, and important, I believe, is that in this thousand-year period of time, this will be the first time in all of history that every believer in God, every believer in Christ, whether they're Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, or tribulation martyrs, will be together alive at the same time. They all will be together alive at the same time in this thousand-year millennial reign. Right now, we have Old Testament saints that are dead. We have even New Testament believers that are dead. We're not, we're not with them. And even though their spirit's alive, we're not together. But in the millennial reign, we will all be together. And I think that's significant. The church age, which will end at the rapture of the church, and all the believers in our age now, the church age, will be raptured and we'll go to heaven. That'll be our rapture. The Old Testament saints, however, are resurrected, not at the rapture. The, the Old Testament saints, those that believed in God prior to Jesus, prior to the New Testament being uh, written in, in, in that era, they will be resurrected at, at the second coming or after the second coming of Christ. And we're told that that in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. He's speaking about the tribulation. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who, slept, who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to ever, everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So what Daniel's prophesying here is that at the second coming of Christ, Old Testament saints will be resurrected. That will be their resurrection. And at that time, they will get their eternal bodies. And then at that time, they'll be ready to serve in the millennial reign. The tribulation martyrs, those people that have died in the tribulation time, they were unsaved at the time of the rapture. But they got saved during the seven-year tribulation, and there were, there will be millions of, we believe millions of people, a great revival, we believe, will happen in the tribulation. Many will get saved. Unfortunately, many, if not most, will die. They'll, they will be martyred for their faith, because they'll be beheaded or, or otherwise killed by the Antichrist. And, but yet, where are they at? They are at, at, at that time, they are, their souls are in heaven crying out to Jesus, when oh when are you going to, to, um, give us a vengeance over those that killed us? So they as well will be resurrected, given new heavenly earth, earthly bodies, 
I'm sorry, heavenly bodies at the second coming of Christ. So the tribulation saints will also be resurrected at that time. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. This is John the Revelator speaking. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. These are the tribulation saints. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So here we have it. We have... At the, all the saints, we have the New Testament church, that's is us. We have the Old Testament saints and heroes that we read about. And we have the tribulation martyrs, those that were, were murdered or martyred in the tribulation time. All these saints will be together now for the first time as Christ sets up his thousand year reign on earth. I think it's I think it's interesting to know that. I've never really considered that fact that we will at that time be together. Now we will not be the humans populating the earth. We're talking we'll talk about that later, but we will be we will be reigning with Christ in our eternal bodies through that thousand year period of time. Now I know that there's a lot of questions about this time. There's a lot of questions about what really happens in the millennial kingdom. What is the purpose of this thousand year period. Who will be living during this time period? What will the government be like? Will there be births? Will people die? Will people be born? Will there be sin in that time? These are all good questions and we're going to try to get to them, not all today, but we're going to be talking primarily today about what is the purpose of the millennial reign. Why does it have to happen? First of all, let's understand that what we're speaking of here is a thousand-year period. And I know some will take this and say, no, this is a literal, just meaning a long time. It's not really a thousand years. There's a lot of misinterpretations when we start talking about the millennial reign. But John the Revelator goes to great detail to call it out to be a thousand years. In fact, the passage we're going to read in Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 2, six times... In this passage of seven verses, he declares it to be a thousand years. So if he's going to declare it to be a thousand years, it's not just a long time. It's a thousand years. Okay, let's read it. Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 2. He sees the dragon who, this ancient, or this, this angel sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. So 
if it was just a long time, why do you need to say it's a long time? <laughs> Very clearly, um, God wants us to know that a thousand years is a thousand years, and there's a purpose for that. So what is the covenant? What is the, the, the purpose? What's the reason that God has established this thousand-year period of time for us to have to, for us to go through and to reign with him? You know, Scripture is amazing, and that Scripture gives us numerous promises or covenants that God has made with people, various people throughout the years. God is a covenant keeper. He's a promise keeper. So throughout Scripture, God makes numerous promises to people. First, he makes him these promises to the Jewish nation. Secondly, he makes them to Jesus, his son. Thirdly, he makes these promises to the Gentile nations. That's us. And then fourthly, he makes these promises to creation itself. So we're going to talk about that as the reason or the purpose of the millennial reign is because God is a covenant keeper. But first of all, what's a covenant? Do you know what a covenant is? A covenant is simply, is simply a covenant is a contract or an agreement between two or more parties. It's not real complicated. It's not, it's not a trick question here. But covenants in the Bible are more than contracts. They're agreements between people groups and God. And when God makes a covenant with a people group, he keeps them unconditionally. Yeah, amen. That's so important for us to know that. Because even though God sees all the future events and he understands that people make mistakes, he understands that, he could say, well, I'm going to make a, a, a covenant with you, but I'm going to keep it only if you keep yours with me. Now, there, there, are, some, there are some conditions in our salvation. There are some things in life that clearly are our responsibility. So I'm not trying to give us a, you know, a, a free pass here necessarily. But when God calls it a covenant... When he calls it a covenant or a promise, it's his to keep, not ours to earn. Understand that. It's his to keep, not ours to earn. And the greatest example of that is the Jewish nation of Israel. Because God made multiple covenants and promises to them, even and even though they failed him miserably many times. And Jim even mentioned that a little bit in his little talk. How, how often they failed God and didn't keep up to their bargain God still called them his people and he still has a promise and he still has covenants made to Israel that he will keep no matter what Israel does. And there's some promises for us that way as well. So let's talk about those because God's covenant with mankind really is a proof of God's grace. And what is his grace? It's his unmerited favor and mercy upon all of us. Thank the Lord for that. Amen. Aren't you just thankful that God is merciful? Yes, God is righteous and he's a just judge, but he's also merciful. And we are living in the era of grace right now where God will just give us time and time again opportunities to come back to him. And even when we fall down, he'll pick us back up and he'll say, I, you're still my son. I love you. You're my daughter. And he gives us all the assurances that he loves us. And that is so beautiful about who he is. So what does a covenant have to do with the millennium? What does the covenant has to do with the millennium? God being a God of covenants, from the very beginning, he has dealt with humanity in a way that God's covenants then are one of the main purposes for the millennial kingdom. It's because he made a promise 
that he's going to keep it, that the millennial kingdom exists. That's the primary purpose of it. So let's talk about the people groups. God made a covenant, first of all, with the Jewish nation. He made a covenant with Abraham that he would be the father of nations and that God would give him a promised land. You can go back and read some of these. That's going to read, we're going to read some of these passages in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river of the, the great river Euphrates. And the land of the, you can say these names with me, the land of the Kenites, the Kezanites, the Ketamonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, <laughs> the Raphites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, these names mean nothing to us. And you know why they mean nothing to us? Because they don't exist anymore. Think about that. Israel exists, but all these other nations have passed. God has a purpose and a plan for Israel that even without a country, Israel was scattered around the world for years and years and years and years, but he brought them back and they are still the nation that God watches over. But all these other nations have gone to the wayside. Several hundred years after Abraham was given this promise, Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land but they still didn't possess all of the land to the boundaries that God had promised. So the covenant was being fulfilled, but not completely fulfilled. But God hasn't forgotten about the promises either. So let's just walk, work with me here. God also made a covenant with David that his line would never die out and that, that David's hair would sit on the throne of Israel forever. Again, more covenants, that more promises that God has made Second Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 through 12, then verse 16. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish the house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so how is this covenant being fulfilled today? Where is this at in Scripture? Well, going back to what the, the prophet Samuel has said, that Jesus is the fulfillment of this Davidic covenant as given in the genealogy of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. The first 17 verses of Matthew record the genealogy of, of, of Jesus through Joseph. And then if you go down to Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, you see that genealogy through Mary. Two genealogies, one from Joseph, one from Mary, all going to the fact that God is fulfilling the covenant with David that his heir would have the kingdom forever and ever. And so he's keeping a covenant there. But that isn't completely fulfilled yet either. So God's still in the process of keeping these covenants. And then there's the new covenant that is fulfilled through Jesus. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Jeremiah gives us this prophecy, this covenant, back in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34. 
Jeremiah says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So what the prophet Jeremiah is saying here is that Jesus will fulfill the Old Testament requirements of God, though they are yet not completely fulfilled today. Jesus is fulfilling this this covenant in that he became our source of salvation, meaning that he alone is the one that can reconcile hearts of fallen men. Amen? It's only through Jesus we can come to God, through Jesus Christ. But the covenant is not fully fulfilled yet until every Jewish person accepts Jesus as the Messiah in the millennial kingdom. Recognize that. This isn't saying today that every Jewish nation or every Jewish person will accept Christ. No, that's not happening yet. But in the thousand or millennial reign, every Jewish person, along with every Gentile, will accept Christ as their Messiah. So the covenant is completed in the millennium, but not today. And then the prophet Ezekiel is also giving us some more covenants to the Jewish people, more promises. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 32, Ezekiel says, Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name, on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the Sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols." And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior. I will give you good crops of grain, and I will send no more famines on the land. I will give you great harvests from your fruit trees and fields, and never again will the surrounding nations be able to scoff at your land for its famines. Then you will remember your past sins and despise yourselves for all the detestable things you did. But remember, says the Lord, I am not doing this because you deserve it. (laughs) Oh, my people of Israel, you should be utterly ashamed of all you have done. But here God has given promise after promise to the Jewish people that he is going to restore them. Isn't that just the way God is? God is a promise keeper, and he continues to promise to redeem Israel, even though they had repeated areas, times of disobedience in their life. Then the the prophet Isaiah goes one more time 
into uh, God's promises of, of being a redeemer for, for the nation of Israel. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 through 21. Isaiah says, The Redeemer will come to you, Jerusalem, to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children forever. I, the Lord, have spoken. So nobody can tell me that the Bible doesn't speak a lot about God's covenants. And the Bible doesn't speak a lot about the millennial reign because we're just touching the surface. We're just skimming, really, God's word here as we're understanding this more and more. All of the Old Testament prophets, including Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and Ezekiel, all wrote about things that were yet to come. None of these things to their fulfillment happened in the day that they were living. And they still haven't even happened yet today. God understands long-term commitments. That's what he's about. Isn't that something how that's a struggle that we have? Isn't a struggle, isn't our struggle about keeping a commitment? I mean, think about it. Think about the divorce rate. Think about so many other things in life that we make commitments to, promises to, and we never keep. But not God. I find it interesting, don't you, the way the enemy works? How, how the enemy takes what God is really, really good at and makes us really, really bad at it. <laughs> I mean, in our human flesh, we just cannot do what God is asking us to do, only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've been talking about the covenants to the Jewish people. But now let's talk about the promises that God also made to Jesus, because he made some promises to his son as well. God promised Jesus that he will make his enemies his footstool, and that all the people of the world will freely worship him without fear of persecution or without any other reason not to. Psalms chapter 110, beginning at verse 1. The writer says, Jehovah said to my Lord, the Messiah. Jehovah, listen to this. Jehovah, God said to the Lord, the Messiah. So God's speaking to his son. Jehovah speaking to Jesus, the Messiah. He says, rule as my agent. I will, sub- I will subdue your enemies and make them bow low before you. Jehovah has established your throne in Jerusalem to rule over your enemies. In that day of your power, your people shall come to you willingly, dressed in holy altar robes, and your strength shall be renewed day by day like morning dew. Jehovah has taken oath and will not rescind this vow that you are a priest forever like Melchizedek. God stands beside you to protect you. He will strike down many kings in the day of his anger. He will punish the nations and fill them with their dead. He will crush many heads, but he himself shall be refreshed from springs along the way. God is promising Jesus that God will give him everything that he said he would. Jesus came and sacrificed everything, didn't he? Coming up from heaven's best to earth's lowliest, lowliest and then becoming the scum of earth because he was hung on a cross. And God said, I will renew all this to you and I will give you more than what I was taken from you. Basically what he's saying here. So God will establish a peaceful kingdom 
for Jesus to take rule over, and his judgment then will be immediate, and the world will willingly follow him. You know, this is interesting, I think, because right now, because we're living in an era of grace, God's judgment isn't immediate, as we think immediate should be. But when Jesus rules over the millennial reign, he will rule immediately when things happen that aren't right. And we'll talk about this more about the sin in the millennial reign. Because even in the millennium, the people that populate the world, even though they come into the millennial reign saved, that's the only way they could get in there in the first place is to have Christ, a saving relationship with Christ. The sin nature in people still exists. They're still sons and daughters of Adam. They still have that corruption in their heart. And even though Satan is banished for a thousand years, the flesh man still exists. Those that come through the tribulation, it it will populate the millennial reign. So Jesus will be a ruler at that point, and he will rule with an an iron rod and a scepter, and things will happen immediately. There will be no delayed justice here at that point in time. And we'll talk more about that later. The prophet Daniel also foretells a time of Christ's rule. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. He said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So in this passage, Daniel speaks of Jesus giving a, a having dominion and authority over all people, all nations, and all languages that begins in this that begins this thousand year millennial reign and will never again be compromised by Satan or as a demonic horde because Satan has been vanquished. So again, God is keeping his promises to the Jewish people and he's keeping his promises to Jesus. The third people group that God has made promises to are the Gentiles. And he's promised them a coming kingdom of peace. And this covenant here that God is making comes to our salvation now in the fact that we're saved from sin and then also promise that we're going to live and reign with him and be with him as a reigning agent with him so yes we have salvation today but we're always but we're always always we're also promised that we will reign with him and be with him as a um victorious party in this great time of celebration in this this thousand year period but, you know, some people often, uh, they, they look at the Old Testament and wonder how then does the Old Testament and the New Testament relate? Because they seem to come to a, a crisis point at the middle when they, 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 you know, one moves from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But Jesus came not to do away with the Old Testament. We have to, we have to make that, we have to understand that. Jesus didn't come to do away with it. But he came to fulfill it. Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18 says, Please don't misunderstand why I have come. 
I did not come to abolish the law of Moses as the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, unless until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of heaven, of God's law, will disappear until its purpose is achieved. But this passage that Daniel just, that we just read, clearly refers to God's promises, not just to the Jewish people, but also to the Gentile people. See, whenever Jesus rules, he rules perfectly. That's the thing I like about Christ. He doesn't do anything halfway. Everything he does, he does to the extreme. He does to the, to the best. And the world that we're going to um, govern with Christ is going to be one of those perfect worlds. And it will be a world of peace. This is Isaiah chapter 2, beginning of verse 3. He said, many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and, and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So again, we're talking about the millennial reign. In this thousand-year period, there will be no wars among nations. People will get along. They will be a peace. We will be a peace-loving society. And God's redeemed people, that's us, and the Old Testament saints, and the tribulation martyrs, all will have ruling properties, will have ruling responsibilities along with Christ in this thousand-year period of time. We're not going to be the humans here. We're going to be the ones ruling with Christ, ruling over humanity at time. I know this is something that I don't fully understand. I don't know how we can fully grasp this now. But we will be ruling with Christ. Whatever those responsibilities are, I'm not sure. But you'll have some, and you'll be really good at them. And you'll be really efficient. And God will be really pleased with the way that He that you help him rule over that kingdom. And it's going to be a blessed time. So fourthly, God also made promises to creation itself. And sometimes we forget that God's creation deserves his attention. Even though it's an inanimate subject matter, God's creation is waiting. It's, it's, it's eagerly waiting for its redemption. We're told this in Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. Paul says that, Paul says it this way. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. You know, when God created the world 6,000 plus years ago and created the Garden of Eden, we know that it was created perfectly without the curse. There was no curse on the land. But when Adam and Eve sinned, God cursed the land. The curse that God laid at that time will be lifted. It will be lifted in this thousand-year millennial reign. There won't be weeds any longer. The weeds won't exist. Only brownieful crops and even Men won't have to work the ground as we have to work it today to grow the crops. There you go, Gilbert. You won't have to be such a hard work at farming anymore. 
And Jackie, there won't be bats in your house to eat mosquitoes. And there's, lot, and there's lots of other things. And we'll get rid of the snakes and all those things and the fear of all these different things. Isaiah chapter 32 says at verse 15, Then once again enormous crops will come. Then justice will rule throughout the land. And out of justice, peace, quietness, and confidence will reign forevermore. My people will live in safety quietly at home. And God will greatly bless his people. Wherever they plant, bountiful crops will spring up, and their flocks and herds will graze in green pastures. Amen. Can you see the world that God is creating here in this thousand-year period of time? Think about all the wild animals today and how they fear men and how we fear them and how we're mortal enemies, in fact, with, with many wild animals today. But that's not the way God designed it to be. That wasn't what his intent was in the Garden of Eden, for men to fear animals and animals to fear men. But in this time, it will be a time of peace, even between the wild animals and humanity. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 through 9 says it this way, In that day, the wolf and the lamb will lie down together, and the leopard and goats will be at peace. Calves and fat cattle will be safe among lions, and a little child shall lead them all. The cows will graze among bears. Cubs and calves will lie down together. And lions will eat grass like the cows. Babies crawl safely among poisonous snakes. And a little child who puts his hand in the nest of deadly adders will pull it out unharmed. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so shall the earth be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Amen. Can you just imagine what that day is going to be like? It's just going to be glorious to know that at that time, the world will be at great peace the way God originally intended it to be. All of God's creation will be productive, will be efficient, will be organized, will be safe. Nobody's going to be stealing from each other. There's not going to be anybody lying about each other. It's just going to be a time that we can't even begin to imagine. Jackie, would you come, please? You know, I know as we talk about these things, it's it's something that um, we think we can grasp maybe a little bit. But I'm just telling you, guys, what we're trying to describe here is beyond words. So what do we get out of this? What What's the most important takeaway for you and I this morning? that we can get out of this. As we're looking at these, these are far distant events. I get that. These are things that are not going to happen imminently. The only thing that's imminent right now is the rapture. That's the next big thing that's going to happen is the rapture of the church. But all these things I'm talking about are going to be years from now. Seven years plus. We know that for sure. <laughs> so what do we do? What, what, what do we get out of it today? Well, I'll tell you what I get out of it. For the fact that God keeps his covenants and his promises, I get great peace out of it. I know, Pastor Rip, you had the word about the Lord is a strong tower, right? And everything that's going to be happening in the next few months, which I believe could be some pretty severe things, we have no reason to fear that. We have no reason to fear what this world brings to us. Because we're given a promise, a covenant, that God is going to keep everything the way we're trying to describe it. We're trying to describe all that he has in store for us. Therefore, we have no reason to fear what this world brings. So let me ask the question. 
if God is able to keep his promises about these things that are far off, can he keep promises to you about the things that are present today? Yeah. What are, the th- what are some of the things that are troubling you today? Because I know we have some. I mean, we're human. We have things that trouble us. Have you searched God's word for his promises? So I want to give you an encouragement and a challenge at the same time. My encouragement is that God has given us a promise and a covenant that he will not break. The challenge is, do you know it? Do you know what it is? Because sometimes unless you know what the promise is, how do you claim it? We have to get our, we, we know the promises given to us when we read God's word. Because a promise that's given in God's word is different than a promise that I think he's made. <laughs> I think I heard that. Somebody told me one time that God said this. Well, did he? How do you know if he said it or not unless you get into his word? That's why we study God's word more than anything else. We study God's word. Maybe too, maybe too much. Maybe we read too much of God's word in sermons and maybe that's why I get lightheaded. <laughs> but, but when we study God's word, those, that's where the promises are. And until we dig into his word to find the promises, how do we know if we're standing on the right thing or not? There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of false teaching in the world right now. And the only way we're going to really know if we're listening to the right thing is if we get into God's word like the Bereans and study it out. And it's it's more important, not just for me to do it, more it's more important for you to do it. You need to do it Monday through Saturday. Because if you think you're getting it all on Sunday, you're not. I cannot feed you enough for the week. Nor can any other pastor that speaks a lot better but you have to get into the words yourself. If you want to know what God's promises to you are, you need to get in and dig them out. And then you can stand on them and know for a fact that he will fulfill his promises because he does that unconditionally. And how do you do that? You go back and repent. You go back and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I made mistakes again I shouldn't have made. You know, I'm like that nation of Israel. I fall down all the time, but I thank the Lord that you're forgiving. I thank the Lord that you're merciful. And I thank the Lord that you're keeping your promises to me. And I want nothing more than to be to be a promise keeper like you are. So help me. Help me to be a promise keeper. Help me to be a covenant maker and a covenant keeper as well. God will keep his promises. God will keep his promises, but we have to dig them out ourselves. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day today. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us promise after promise after promise that you will keep and that you will never leave us alone. God, there are many things in this life that we can get confused with, many things in this life that can take up our attention, take up our time. So we come to you and we repent. Lord, I repent for myself and I repent for all that would willing to be pray with me that we're sorry for the times that we've left you out of our life. So God, come back in. You're welcome to come back in and and give us that Holy Spirit-led conviction that would lead us into your word, that we would spend time studying and knowing all that that we can about you and your goodness. And as we look forward to the things that are yet to happen, God, I pray for peace. 
I pray that you give us a sense of peace in our spirit that we will not fear, that we will not look to this world to give us answers, that we will only look to you because we know that the world gives answers that are not true. They will not be what you have for us to know, but we we go to the source and the source is your word and your word alone. We thank you for that. Help us, Lord, as we go throughout our day. We just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you will. And let's sing a song that Jackie is playing for us. Let's worship here before we go home.